College basketball went through its craziest week of the season with all of the top six in the top 10 falling and seven of the top 10 teams falling out, or excuse me, losing in the top 10. We recap that and rank the best Big 12 prospects in the conference and just talk about the craziness that is the Big 12. And then we'll also give you a final regular season preview as the regular season ends and conference play, or excuse me, conference tournament begins. You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA Draft. My name is Richard Stamen. You might know me better as at Mavs Draft. I'm joined by Leaf Tuline. Leaf, we just went through one of the craziest weeks of college basketball. What are your emotions? Have you caught up from it? I mean, because personally, after like three of the teams fell, I I was really just confused. I was like, okay, there's no way Gonzaga can lose next. And they just did. Talk to me about the the whirlpool of emotions you went through, the whirlwind of emotions you went through. It felt like March was coming, and 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 here we are. It's March. I I don't know, man. I, I didn't think Gonzaga was going to lose either. I was like, okay, a little. It's getting to be a lot. A couple of the losses were understandable. Like we, we're going to talk about the Big Twelve. Um, Kansas was was the five seed. They lost to the ten seed Baylor. So that one, you know, that made sense. But then you look at you look at a few of the other losses, and they're just not as easily explained. And it was awesome because. Not only were these games, like some of them were awesome games, like Kentucky and Arkansas, great game. Um, Tennessee and Auburn was a really solid game, and you learned a lot about both teams. And it really made me think, man, my bracket's going to be a mess. There's going to be a lot of, a lot of scribbling. I, I, I recommend doing it, at, doing it in pencil because if you do that in pen, I, I, there's no Sharpie lock-in winners. Like I think last year it was pretty obvious who the best two teams were all season long. This year I can't even decide who's the best team, much less best four, you know, to make it a final four. And that's what you saw this past week is that no, no one's uh, without without holes. And you saw seven of the top 10 lose for the first time in college basketball history. And it was it was awesome. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't just Saturday that there was some craziness, but Saturday really was the highlight. And, and for the most part, there were no, I would say, bad games uh, in that top 10. I mean, yeah, there were some blowouts. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Arizona got blown out. Um, but I mean, Texas Tech, TCU, I'm a little bit biased. I was at the game and that was chaos. Texas Tech had that one on lock and they, uh, they just kind of, uh, choked it, I would say, but, but, uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, before we dive into our main feature, I would say for this, which is ranking the top five prospects of the big 12, I want to thank you all again for listening to us, making us your first listen of the day. Um, we, Obviously, we thank you very much for this. And I apologize. I'm stumbling over my words for whatever reason today. Um, I'm recording on Monday. I've got a terrible case of the Mondays or something. But I appreciate you sticking through all my stumbling of my words. Um, we, we have a lot in store with March Madness coming up. Tell a friend. Find us on YouTube. Um, we, <laughs> we are very excited for March Madness. And we're going to do our best to try and guide you through uh, the chaos that is March Madness. So, Leaf, you want to you want to kick us off with? We're going to do this the same way we've done other uh, rankings of our top five. We've done top five shooters, and we start from five. We go to one. Leaf, do you want to kick us off? Let's. Uh, you give me your number five. I'll give you my number five. I'm going to go with Mike Miles. 
I think he's he's a guy that you love and you talk about TCU. You just did again. Uh, I, I watched him at FIBA and I was like, man, this guy's got some good feel and he's got some traits, but I was worried about the, the measurables, which I've learned to like overlook at times. Like in a good example of this is a guy like Peyton Pritchard where he had none of the measurables and people dropped him for, for that as, a, as, as the reason. Uh, Emmanuel quickly was in that same draft, another player. And I think you just watch his feel and – and you watch him versus a guy like TJ Shannon, who we're going to talk about in a bit. Um, he's got all the measurables in the world, but he lacks the feel. So I'm going to go with the guy that I think is a better basketball player right now. And I think will be long-term as well uh, in Mike miles as my fifth, uh, fifth ranked prospect in the big 12. Yeah. Hey, not going to be opposed to that. He just had a crazy game against Texas tech. He was the cog that led TCU to beat Texas tech 25 points on 10 of 15 shooting, had a steal four assists. Uh, he was he was doing everything on both ends. It was definitely the game where I had had him as a top 35 prospect all season. I dipped him right before this, actually, just because the production was really bad. The efficiency was down. But this game was a really good game to get his numbers back, and it really showcased the flash of how good he is. He was on the FIBA U19 team that won the gold medal over France. He was a huge player in that. Obviously, Chet Holmgren, Patrick Baldwin, and some of the other guys in that team get a lot more recognition but Mike Miles really was good then and I, I do think he's if he stays another year he's probably a breakout junior he's probably going to be a contender for a player of the year in the big 12 if depending on how TCU is but like in terms of just production he has a chance um but if he was to go to the class right into the draft right now I think there's a good argument for number five believe it or not uh, I actually don't have him at number five I'm gonna go with uh, someone else who I think has just really exploded as a scorer and I know that his skill set isn't exactly the most translatable at 6'4", 190, but he is the heart and soul of West Virginia. I think if he had a better team, he would be higher. And that's Taz Sherman. Uh, he has scored double digits in all but one game, which was against Kansas in the middle of January that he's played this year. For the year, uh, he is averaging 18 points per game. That's on 42% and 34% from three. I get the numbers aren't that great. 79% from the line, but man, he can score off the dribble anyway. The self-creation is crazy. He can shoot over defenders, and I think his scoring ability plus an improved playmaking with an actually good roster around him would do wonders. I think the best role for him in the NBA is kind of that Jordan Clarkson, just being a super chucker because he did that last year on a good team, and it actually helped them a lot. And I think that's a translatable skill to the NBA with his overall skill set. Um, so who's your number four? Yeah, before before I reveal my number four, I, I have a thought about your your number five there. Is is Taz Sherman and Jordan Clarkson? You know what the craziest thing is about that that West Virginia team last year is the guy who's likely going to win National Player of the Year this year, Oscar Shibwe, left that team and they got better. And people are like, oh, addition by subtraction. And while that may have been true for for the post touches between he and Derek Culver, the real answer was Taz Sherman stepped in and started scoring from the perimeter, complimenting Deuce McBride. As for my number four, I'm going to take another shooting guard from the Big 12, obviously, but a shooting guard, and I'm going to take Christian Brown. I think what he does very well that's underrated is he rebounds at an elite level for a guard. He defends at a very good level, shoots the ball, and I think people paint the picture of, oh, he's, he's supposed to be a shooter, but he's a plus athlete, gets out in transition. I think he thrives in transition. And one other thing is he's had some of his best games against the best competition. That's something that I don't want to overlook because – you know, some people fade away from uh, and they beat up on the, the the lower teams in the in the division. There's not too many in the Big 12 that are bad. But Christian Brown's best game this year, to my eye, was the first time they matched up against Baylor at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. He had 18 and 10 
and didn't even play more than 30 minutes. Um, Christian Brown, has got the measurables. I've seen him in some mocks really scooting up the draft boards, but for me, I've got him at, at four in the big 12. And I think there's a case that he could move up, but I'm, I'm pretty content with where I have him. Yeah. It hurt me not to have him on the list. You'll see, um, my number four doesn't include him and then there's three clear cut prospects, but, uh, Christian Brown's really intriguing. My, the main reason he's so much lower for me, and I know it's very unpopular to have Taz Sherman above him, but for me, it's just he premeditates so much of his offense where he does one of two things. He knows he's going to shoot, so he shoots at a bad time and his shot selection's iffy. Or the other way, which is he he knows he's going to drive and like he's almost just a train wreck going in. And I, I've seen this as a Magic fan. I see this in Jalen Suggs. He does the same thing, and the efficiency is low. However, at 6'8", but six seven, whatever he is, I don't think he's six six. I think that's what he's listed as. I don't buy that one bit. Um, I do think that that he can get away with it a little bit more, and obviously a little bit, like you said, really good athlete, great rebounder. He has other complementary pieces for it. So my number four, we've already talked about him, Mike Miles at TCU. I think the feel for the game is so elite that in the the three point stroke, the jump shot is just so nice looking. I like everything about Mike Miles. Again. Watch the game from against Texas Tech. There's so much to like about him on both ends. He did just about everything. Great playmaker, sees over defenses despite being 6'1". Just really overcomes the the 6'1 labels you generally hear, or the labels of a 6'1 player you generally hear. So I'm a big fan of Mike Miles. We've already talked about him. I don't need to go too much in depth. But um, Leaf, talk to me about your number three. My number three is another Kansas Jayhawk, and it, it was hard for me to put him three behind my number two, but my, the number two, the two guys, Sock is soaring. Um, that's Ochag Baji. We've talked about him a lot. The dude shoots the ball. He's, he's a huge wing. Um, he's three and D to the T. And, you know, one thing that I am impressed with is that he's now the guy that people on the opposition face Kansas, and they're like, who should we take away? The answer is Ogbaje. Yet his numbers haven't diminished whatsoever, and his efficiency hasn't fallen at all either. And, you know, he's also the big knock about his shooting. People question his free throw percentage. Well, his free throw percentage is going up as the year has gone, and that is something I really buy into because he's shooting 47% from three on the year. Free throw percentage is getting better. And I don't have any questions about his defense because a lot of people are like, oh, his feet aren't the quickest. Well, he's, he's huge. He, he's a huge wing, and he's got pretty good athleticism. And he runs the floor excellently. And a team that plays fast, that suits Ugbaji to a T. I'm, I'm very high on him. He's about 15 on my big board right now. Yeah, it's funny. I was on a Twitter spaces yesterday, and we were talking about good fits for the Orlando Magic. And one of the things that came up was, would you take Oche Ugbaji to fill the shooting void that the team has, despite him not being a good defender? And my, my rationale was, you know, he's not going to be – a waste on defense not gonna be like trey young darius garland cole anthony like those guys those are terrible defenders at best i think defense is almost a bonus where with him like you, like you said he, yeah may not have the quickest feet but he's also strong he's long and he has adequate foot speed so like it's there it's all a bonus though but i mean the three-point shot you can say whatever you want about it um the the three-point shooting is fully legit even if the free throw percentage hasn't always been there it's fully legit. I'll, I'll break that down because uh, we're going to have the same three players from here. These are the same three players in two schools. They're clear-cut favorites in this. My number three is probably going to be your number two, and that's Jeremy Sohan, uh, Suhan from uh, Baylor. He's a really intriguing prospect because he's 6'9", 230, absolutely perfect frame. He's got long arms, 
Uh, only knock I would say about his physical is that he dyed his hair the team color, the Baylor green, which is really weird, but that's obviously not actually a thing you care about with the draft. So um, for the season, he's averaging nine points a game on four, or 50% shooting, 31% from three and 58% from the free throw line. The form isn't completely broken. He just looks very uncomfortable, like just, just completely uncomfortable every time he shoots a three, uh, especially off the dribble. He took one against Kansas this weekend, and it was really awkward. I still like him as a two-way threat, as a slasher and lockdown defender. I think he can be really good at those two things. But that's my number three player. So uh, we kind of have flipped, I would assume, two and three. So you want to give the breakdown on Sohan. I gave one on Baji. Go ahead. Yeah, I would I would love to add something about Jeremy Suhan. He's the thing is, is that they lost Jonathan Chamo Chachua, who is their anchor defensively off the bench. And now Jeremy Suhan is now playing a a kind of like a playmaking five. And that's something that I didn't expect to see. I thought there was potential for him to be a, a not a ball handler, but someone who, who would be competent with the ball in his hands. And that's a nice wrinkle that I, I've really been impressed with. His activity has stayed the same, his defense is only getting better. Uh, his efficiency in the last few games has been very good in increased margins, um, increased uh, capacity. And that's something that matters a lot to me, especially for a freshman who's developing and he's playing as teams know people's tendencies. Early on in the season, he was kind of like, oh, who's this guy with the, the blonde fro? And now, now people know who he is, know what to take away, and he's still thriving. And he's adapting to a new role. So one statistic that stuck out to me is they, they just beat Kansas, um, big game. He went five of nine, six of seven from the free throw line. We talk about his form. He's not shooting great from the free throw line. He's about 58%. But he had 17 points, five rebounds, and he played the, uh, the one, basically played the point guard at times um, as an orchestrator in their offense, and then the five on defense. So that's something that's invaluable to me. The positional versatility is huge. And then against TC, we had 17 points on six of nine shooting not long ago. I think he's a guy that's kind of got the Dante DiVincenzo track of going, you know, once the tournament happens, if they were to make a deep run, I'm not saying they're going to win the national championship because I know Villanova did that year, but a guy who comes off the bench that is an instant contributor and rises up draft boards. I think Jeremy Sohan's on that track right now. Yeah, he's definitely one of the fastest risers. So that brings us to number one. We have the same player, Kendall Brown from Baylor. He has been there. We've both been big on him since high school, but uh, or since he was in high school, not since we were both in high school, but uh, he is just the clear cut number one big 12 player. He's absolutely knocked it out the park. In non conference, he was shooting 71% through 12 games on 13 points per game. Now he's quote unquote fallen to 59% with 10 points per game. Uh, he also just, he just does everything. I mean, the feel for the game is elite. His ability to run in transition with both hands, like he can be a one man fast break. I think that's a big sign of upside as a creator. Personally, for me, is just knowing that he can do that in transition in traffic. Uh, makes me very confident in the ability for him to grow as a half-court playmaker and slasher. The big thing for him is he has to be more confident to shoot and honestly fix the shooting stroke because, there. I mean, against Kansas, you see it every game. He'll take this jab step. He's like, I don't know if I should shoot it. And then he shoots it and he misses. So he does need to get better at that. Shoots uh, 32% from three. 73% from the line is promising, but... You know, the form needs to get better and tendencies need to get better. What do you like about uh, Kendall Brown and agree, disagree on the, the getting the room for improvement? Yeah, he's fallen a little bit since the start of the year on my board, but I still have him number one as the prospect in the Big 12. There's things you can't teach, size, athleticism, feel for the game. Think of Scotty Barnes with a slight bit less um, like point guard in him. 
And that's kind of what you have uh, in, in Kendall Brown. Well, the thing that concerns me is his confidence shooting the ball. There's multiple, multiple games since Big 12 play has began um, where he's shot zero or one threes and made zero threes. And that concerns me, not because like he's playing within himself and that's fine with me. But if you go zero for zero and they know they don't have to guard you, for instance, against January 4th against Oklahoma, he shot two shots the entire game, zero for zero from three. Then he went four of five against TCU the next game, zero from zero from three. Two of five the next game, zero of one. O of one, O of one, O of one, O of O, O of O. And that's, that's eight straight games at the beginning of Big 12 play. People are, people are going to get into him uh, and make him shoot. They're going to say, you know what? We don't need to guard you like, like we would guard a shooter. Like you're going to guard Adam Flagler on your team. We're going to sag off you, and they're going to play the, the, um, in, in the gaps. And I think that's something in the NBA that will only become more um, exacerbated. And I, I think he could, um, he could benefit from retooling the shot, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so that's that's our top five. We got we uh, we have most of the same players. The Tash Sherman was really the only difference one that and Christian Brown. So, uh, any last thoughts on uh, on the Big Twelve prospects, Leaf? Before uh, we go into a little break here. No, I, I don't have anything more. But before we get into the recapping the Big Twelve games and the awesome week of college basketball, let me tell you about Bet Online. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, total pl- totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage and information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline where the game starts. Perfect. So, um, you know, back with Leaf Tulin, my name is Richard Stamen at Mavs Draft. Uh, if you're tuning in just for this part. So we're, we're going to recap the craziness that was the Big 12. We talked about it at the top, how, you know, seven of the top 10 teams lost. It is the first time, if I'm not mistaken, it's either the first time it's ever happened or it was the first time since like the 40s. So, Either way, most people alive right now do not remember the last time that happened or had never seen that. The Big 12 was a big part of that. Obviously, it was a little bit skewed because uh, Kansas and Baylor, both in the top 10, they played each other. And then Texas Tech lost to TCU. So those are going to be the big two that we talk about. But there were other big games, I, I would say, in the in the Big 12. And honestly, I'd say almost all of it starts with Saturday. Almost every – all five games were – Really intense. I mean, even OU Oklahoma State, a game that was pretty much a battle for the basement, went to overtime. You had Texas, number 20 Texas, beat West Virginia by one, um, which obviously, you know, we talked about Taz Sherman. He played a part in that. And then Iowa State beat Kansas State by one, which great game. Shout out to Nigel Pack and Tyrese Hunter and Isaiah Brockington. Those three guys, really good names to watch uh, for either the future or the draft. I think Brockington is draft auto draft eligible this year. But let's talk about the three, the the two big games. So obviously we talked about Kansas Baylor. So I guess it really let's just dive right into Texas Tech versus TCU because I could talk about that one all day. Um, I'll I'll kick it off with this. So TCU won by three. Uh, first of all, officiating I, I can't help but say it. I mean Big Twelve officiating especially horrible. There was a play where there was a, they showed the replay. The ball clearly went out of TCU right in front of the ref. He the Emmanuel Miller spiked it up. 
And the ref had a perfect view of it. And he goes, that's off of Texas Tech. And it was clearly not. Luckily, it didn't change anything, but there were very questionable calls. Ultimately, it's not why Texas Tech lost. Why Texas Tech really lost, though, was Mike Miles, like I said, 26 points, 10 of 15 shooting, four assists, four rebounds, five steals. And just the role players showed up, too. I mean, Chuck O'Bannon showed up. Xavier Cork was a bench big. But I know you have more experience watching Texas Tech. Beyond their struggles on the road, what stood out to you from Texas Tech in this one that you've seen before? Well, you know their defense is going to travel. Like they, they are legitimately the best defense in the country, according to Ken Palm. But they did struggle compared to their relative ability defensively to stay in front of Mike Miles. They're individual creators that can get through their no middle defense and create havoc. And that's what Mike Miles does. But one thing I, I want to, you were at this game, so I want to pose a question to you. And, and I think that this will be consistent with this game, but also games I've watched prior. You, you see, they, they, they thrive off of having multiple players score around like either eight to 14 points per game. And you, you know, it's an egalitarian offense, but the dude who is supposed to be the dude is TJ Shannon um, or Terrence Shannon jr. And I, every time he's come back from injuries, he's kind of had an injury riddled year. I watch him and I'm like, wow, I kind of liked what I saw from Texas tech more without him. They beat Baylor when Baylor was 15 and zero at Baylor without TJ Shannon. Then they, they beat Kansas um, one of the times when they were in Lubbock. And I, I just I just don't know, man. It, it, it's something. He's got the best traits on the team. But Bryson Williams is their most efficient player. They're, they're kind of like their glue guy is Kevin McCuller. I think he kind of banged himself up in that game. But he's their glue guy. He makes things work. And then their spacer is Kevin O'Banner, the transfer from Oral Roberts, who was uh, co-partners with uh, Max Aismas last year in that awesome run. But when TJ Shannon plays, it's like they defer to him. And their egalitarian approach becomes worse. But TJ Shannon only had six points on six shots and his and his efficiency was down. So I'll turn it over to you. You were at this game. What do you notice when he's got the ball and, and he's in the game that may detract for him as a draft prospect? Yeah. So first of all, let's work backwards on this. Take a look at the last shot Terrence Shannon took. The final possession, Texas Tech, I think, had 13 or 17 seconds. With nine seconds, Terrence Shannon sees a double team, kind of escapes one guy, and then just chucks a moving three, which, by the way, Terrence Shannon's worst trade offensively is three-point shooting. I would be very, very surprised if one of his best three-point shots was a moving three off the dribble. I just – no way is that the answer. And he chucked it with nine seconds over a defender instead of trying to just pass the ball around and find a better shot, which against a TCU team that does not close games well at all, especially they give up – horribly easy shots on the defensive end that was alarming the other thing is just simply if he's not cutting and getting to the rim yeah what's he doing on offense his defense is very good but the biggest runs came without him and and i don't have the plus minus unfortunately college basketball doesn't really track that like the nba does but i'd be willing to bet the plus minus was heavily skewed first of all in favor of bryson williams who torched tcu i have no idea how he only took nine shots but it would be opposite for Terrence Shannon because he was just a non-factor in this one he hit one three thought he was going to get going and had a couple of passes but it just kind of plateaued with him so I I don't know what to make of his play I'm very low on him I didn't list him in my neither of us listed him in our top five prospects in the conference even though the jump shot form isn't that bad the jump shot's broken and it's weird so he has a lot of work to do in that regard and then also decision making and just overall consistency it's very far from ready 
Yeah, I mean, if I'm looking at their team stats, uh, their two leading scorers are Bryson Williams, 26 minutes a game, TJ Shannon, 25 minutes a game. And then their next three guys all average 10 points. 10 points exactly for McCuller, 9.8 for Warren and O'Banner, and then Adonis Arms, 8.5. When you take Shannon out of the mix, you got six players right there that I think thrive playing together, playing fast. And I, it's not that Shannon can't play fast. He's a phenomenal athlete. Like he, he probably thrives in that type of system. But it's when he's in, the game stop, the ball stops a little bit. And it, it worries me because if a ball stops, you want to be a creator. He's not a creator for anyone, even himself. Like His creation is dribble hard left because he's left-handed, gets hard to the left, and he goes to the rim. And if he doesn't get to the rim, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a lost cause. And so I am worried about him, and I'm, I'm curious to see how Texas Tech does because that's a team that – has the, as good a wins as anyone in the country. They've beaten uh, the Baylor at Baylor. They beat Baylor again. Um, that's number three in the country, Baylor, right now. And I, I just think that this is a team that can compete for a national championship. They can be an Elite Eight. They can be a Final Four team with him. But I worry how the, the rest of the team responds uh, when he plays versus when he doesn't. And I'm curious to see if his minutes begin to taper off as Mark Adams gets a sense and it's, it's go time as March has began. Yeah, they're going to be interesting to watch in March because, I mean, their ability to to create offense, like you said, is an egalitarian system that lets everybody thrive, and that might almost be their fault. Uh, because, I mean, like I said, Bryson Williams only taking nine shots was an absolute tragedy. Like, and Davion Warren also, I mean, he was creating plays on both ends. And, yeah, I mean, they had no one take double-digit shots whenever you look at Texas Tech – or, excuse me, TCU, they had three. And, and I really do think that made a difference. But, uh, ultimately, I think – Texas Tech is going to be – their defense is going to be elite. I mean, they are the number one defense for a reason, which makes the Mike Miles play even more impressive. But their offense, at the end of the day, you got to put the ball in the basket. And if they're going to struggle against TCU, who's a top 30 defense, they're going to run into teams with much more potent offenses against teams that can you know, close games better than TCU can and just are going to match some of their defensive intensity. And especially if they make it further than the Sweet 16 – they're going to be running into those top 20 defenses. So their defense might become a wash. I worry about them going far in March personally. But uh, any last thoughts around uh, the Texas Tech TCU game before we start previewing uh, next week? Yeah, let's head, let's head to next week. It's, it's almost Madden's time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first, let's give a quick word to our friends over at Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. You often endure pointless and seemingly intimidating questioning, uh, such as is your car this model or that model, and wait while the person behind the counter uh, orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand they happen to carry. I've been a victim of this myself. I completely, it's, it's frustrating. With Rock Auto, you can save time and money, and you can save up to 30, 50, or even 100% compared to what you would get at a chain store or a car dealership. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and Rock Auto's price, prices are reliably low for every single customer, and they have everything you need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, new carpet, you name it, they have it. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your car part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in two words in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the, par all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. So as the final week of regular season college basketball comes to an era, excuse me, the final week approaches, I should say, 
of uh, of regular season college basketball comes to an end. Let's preview some of the big games. Let's let's take take a handful of games and just uh, kind of break them down and what we expect and everything. I'll start. I think it starts tonight. ESPN is the place to be. You got Johnny Davis versus Jaden Ivey and Purdue versus Wisconsin. That has to be the best game of the night, right? I mean, I, I think it's debatable. That's the one I'd lean towards because Johnny Davis and Jaden Ivey. But I got to say, Villanova and Purdue, nine versus – I mean, not, sorry, not Purdue. Providence and Villanova, nine versus 11 is another one I'm, I'm certainly keeping my eye on. That's at 430 on FS1. I'll be watching both of them. So, uh, you know, that that's that, those are two awesome games to start the week. Like, you, you can't ask for better. Those are two basically top ten matchups. Yeah, and if you're a night owl, also Arizona plays USC, which is two top 25 teams, uh, two top 16 to be exact. Uh, moving on with the week, I do like another matchup, uh, two matchups really actually out of the SEC. I'll kind of bundle them as one. This is tomorrow on Wednesday, uh, both at 8 p.m. One's on SEC Network, and that's Auburn-Mississippi State. Uh, and that one I like just because I like Jabari Smith a lot, and I like Iverson Molinar a lot, and I do think that Molinar – could see some possessions matched up with Jabari Smith, and those would be pretty telling. The other one, LSU, Arkansas, same time on ESPN2. You got Eric Gaines versus uh, versus J.D. Note, and then hopefully we get to see Tari Easton versus Jalen Williams. I think that would be a really, really intriguing matchup. They both kind of counter their strengths and weaknesses. Those are two games I have my eye on. What, uh, what are some other ones you got your eye on? Speaking of Jalen Williams and Arkansas, I've got Arkansas and Tennessee at 10 a.m., on Saturday, that's one I'm really excited about because these are two of the hottest teams in college basketball, much less the SEC. Tennessee has three straight wins at home against top 25 teams. Arkansas has just beaten Kentucky and Auburn. Um, you don't you don't do that very often, and they're playing against each other in Knoxville. That one's I'm super excited about, and the and there's an emerging prospect in Jalen Williams. I really do think he's he's draftable. Um, he's he's showing a lot, and I think he's one of those guys we talked about Suhan being. You know, he's the he's the, the darling, but I think Jalen Williams is, is really helping himself out of late as well. And then it, it's the last hurrah. I can't I can't go without saying it. We got we got Duke and Carolina and it's at Cameron Indoor. It's Coach K's last game. I'll be the first one to say I don't love Duke at all. And I, but I love this rivalry. Like nothing gets you going like Duke and Carolina. It's the last one. There's added incentive to it. And, you know, what? Carolina could use a quality win, you know. Send send Coach K out their own fashion. Blow him a kiss on the way out. And Duke wants to kill Carolina as well. Make up for two games, um, for two games they lost last year, and even up this series again. Uh, and then USC and UCLA are playing. But you know you can't you can't end, not end with Duke and Carolina. Like I'm I'm thrilled for that one to be a prime time ESPN game, and and you know great weekend of college basketball. Then we got conference tournament and madness coming up, and I'm freaking I'm I can't wait. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna send that out into the sunset as we ended, but you stole the thunder. No, I. Uh, that is obviously the number one game to watch this week: North Carolina Duke. It's the greatest rivalry, all this stuff, and just be prepared. You know, maybe put a tissue next to you as you're watching the game. You might might shed a tear depending on what they show and whatnot, uh, or how much you hate Duke, or uh, if you're a Leaf. But uh, I'll, I'll bring it home with uh, a little bit of bias. Uh, I, I like ending on Saturday games, but. And actually, they do play Saturday. They This is the only team, I believe, to play three games that's not in a conference tournament this week, and that's TCU. Because they had COVID postponements, they have Kansas tonight. I will be at that one. 
Uh, Oche Baji is a huge prospect. You know, Dallas probably should be there. I would fully expect Dallas to have scouts in attendance. I've been told it'll be a full house of scouts, especially after that last game against Texas Tech. But I, I do think that'll be a good test after beating Texas Tech. And then they play at Kansas Thursday, and then they play West Virginia Saturday. I'd say if they can win two of those somehow, even just one would be fine uh, because they have kind of solidified themselves into the tournament. If they could win, they have to beat at West Virginia, but uh, if they beat Kansas at home, I mean, they have, they're off the bubble. They could lose. They could be one and done in the tournament. But uh, as Leaf said, next week is the conference tournaments for everybody. It's starting now. Uh, I think actually Monday was the official start. I want to say there's one on, on, in February. Almost, uh, almost half the mid-majors start by Thursday. So if you like all-day college basketball, if you're working from home wanting to find some background noise on, honestly, <laughs> nothing beats March Madness because I'll tell you, I've seen it. Number one seeds, even in these terrible conferences, they can go down because these coaches have had time to prepare. And believe it or not, these coaches are good at their job most of the time. So there's a lot to like. Uh, I, think, I think this is a big week of college basketball. We will have you covered all next week. We're going to recap and preview uh, some of the big college tournaments for next week and then you know, maybe some start sneaking in some pre NCAA tournament mock draft coverage, but uh, for Leaf Tuline and uh, Richard Stamen, uh, or I'm Richard Stamen, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> this has not been my sharpest episode of speaking smoothly, but thank you so much for listening to Locked On NBA Draft. Again, if you haven't already, please subscribe to our channel on YouTube, Locked On NBA Draft, and we will be back next Tuesday. Thank you so much and enjoy the conference tournaments beginning.